Take your Bibles with me if you have them and open them back to Luke chapter 6. Gospel of Luke chapter 6. While you're turning there, I just want to make an announcement. If you are between the ages of 18 and 25 and want to spend your summer in Denver, Colorado, uh, see me afterwards. You have an opportunity to do that. Our church has an opportunity to send several college students this summer through the North American Mission Board to Denver, Colorado. If you are not 18 to 25, don't worry. We will also have an option for you this summer, uh, first part of June, to go to Denver, Colorado and help a church plant. So be in prayer about those things. Uh, another way and, and possibility for our church to put our faith to action by serving the Lord and sharing the gospel. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 6 down to verse 12. And we will look at what it means to join Jesus in ministry. Joining the Lord in his work in the world. Now, one of my greatest memories as a young boy was um, when my father would take me to the farm with him. Uh, I had a blast. And not because I was by any means a helping hand for him. Uh, I was a young boy and I was far from help or aid uh, to his work. Some of you know my childhood and my honoriness and what I was like growing up. Uh, my times at the farm were enjoyable for me because they were spent riding in the tractor, occasionally stealing the tractor from my dad. They were spent racing his pickup truck down a dirt road. Um, and I can only imagine him seeing that happening and wondering, my, my son, who can barely see over the steering wheel, is driving way too fast. Uh, but part of those joys were fishing and uh, enjoying being outdoors with my father and uh, even on some rare occasions my dad stopping all the work that he had to do and and joining me in fishing those are great memories for me my dad and as you know farmers and as some of you are farmers and work in that industry you know there is a lot of work to do on a farm and more often than not when you have a child with you 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 realize that child just hinders the progress and that was the case for me and my father, but my dad took me along, wanted me to see what he was doing, maybe learn some things, and maybe one day grow into the place where I could contribute and help. Uh, and that, that certainly happened, uh, although he would often have to go behind me and correct my mistakes. But those are great memories to me because they show me, and they showed me then, and they remind me now what kind of love my dad must have for me to bring me along into something that he greatly enjoyed doing, although most of the time I just caused trouble and messed things up. He wanted to teach me his trade and he wanted to allow me to be involved with his work and allow me to be involved in an area of his life that he enjoyed doing. Uh, and, and he did that with great patience and great hope that I would uh, one day contribute something those, those are the memories that ran through my mind as uh, I meditated and studied the passage we're looking at today. Because, like my father did with me, taking me to the farm, God does with us in bringing us into partnership with Him in ministry. 
Sometimes we get in the way and sometimes we don't contribute a whole lot and sometimes we make a lot of mistakes. But nonetheless, our God delights in bringing us along in ministry with Him. Just as my father would take me to the farm and and have to exercise great patience, he wanted me to enjoy what he enjoyed. And the same is true with our God. He wants us to enjoy what He enjoys. He, He wants us, though the mistakes we'll make and the distractions that pull us away, He wants us to delight in doing what He does with Him. In fact, as I studied and thought about the passage we're looking at today, I realized that if I could only share one thing aside from the gospel with younger people, or if I could go back and share one thing aside from the gospel with my younger self, or even with anybody in the church, it would be that I want you to dwell upon the tremendous honor that God allows us to join Him in His work. The tremendous privilege that it is. I would want to stress that that point, that fact, that it is worth meditating on and it is worth thinking upon the wonder that God would allow us to come alongside Him in partnership with Him to take the Gospel to the world. It's such a, such a privilege. It's such an honor. And I would stress even more the fact that God wants us to serve with Him. That, that key word being wants. It's God's desire. It's God's longing. It's God's pleasure for His children, though weak and imperfect and making mistakes as we do. It's His pleasure that we join Him in ministry. It's His pleasure that we join Him doing His work. It's His pleasure that He enables us to serve along with Him. Church, it is an awesome privilege that God would call us to work alongside with Him. In fact, that is the highest calling for a Christian in the world. It is not the career that you have and it is not working for the President of the United States. It's not working in government or working at the university. The highest calling you have upon your your life is working with God. And doing the work of God. And the ministry of God. And I do want to clarify what I mean by ministry. It is not vocational ministry. Uh, I do not mean that you are serving. And being paid to serve in a church. Or that you are running a parachurch ministry. Or leading out in some organization like that. I mean ministry as in the sense of a, a saint rendering service to the Lord. Ministering on behalf of the Lord to the world. That is what. I mean by ministry, we are all called to be ministers, aren't we? In fact, that's part of your salvation, isn't it? It's not just that you're justified. It's not just that you're adopted by God. It's the fact that He gifts you. He enables you and grows you in service to Him in His mission to reach the world. That is actually a part of what it means to be born again. You're gifted to serve alongside with God. That, that is why we're not afraid to ask for teachers, helpers, and volunteers, and BBS directors among our church people because, in fact, it is a part of your Christian life to serve and work for God. It's your highest calling. It's your highest 
responsibility. It is a fruit of God working in your heart. It's a fruit of Christian maturity, isn't it? To be a person, a believer of service, a believer who works for the ministry of the Lord. Bear in mind, this is not out of necessity. God does not call us because He needs us. Not by any means. This is instead a blessing. It's a gift. God calls us to serve His kingdom, to see Him glorified through our service because, church, that is a great fulfillment and satisfaction for a Christian, isn't it? What we'll see today in the passage of Luke chapter 6 is that God not only calls people, but He calls imperfect, weak, and broken people, doesn't He? He calls people who are really unworthy to be called. He calls people who are unable to fulfill their mission on their own. He calls people who don't even deserve to be called to serve with Him in His mission of making redemption known. I think one of the great plagues in the church today, the great schemes and temptations of the enemy, is that he wants to lob accusations at the children of God to make them believe that they're not good enough to serve along with God. That they're not worthy enough. But the truth is, the truth all throughout Scripture, that's clear throughout, throughout Scripture, is no one whom God has ever used has been good enough to be used by God. And no one whom God has ever called has been perfect enough. And yet that is what redemption is, isn't it? God redeeming broken people for a purpose. God delights in taking broken vessels and making them holy vessels for His honorable use. That is God's heart. That's God's pleasure. That's God's delight to take that which is broken and make it usable, fruitful, worth something. In fact, that is the unwavering and timeless truth of hope and joy for the Christian who would work and serve God in this weary world that although you are not good enough and you do not and will not perfectly and always live up to the standards God nonetheless redeems us to join him in ministry join him in work join him in service in fact we can say that to know God has a plan of redemption in the world and that he gives us a part in that plan of redemption is what fuels the Christian through this sojourning experience of life, isn't it? How do we, how do you and I continue through this life day after day after day after day? It's not just the hope of a future home. It's the fact that we get to serve God today, right now. We play a part in God's plan of redemption, God reaching the nations, God reaching the people around us. We get to share the very salvation that you and I experience by the grace of Christ, that is what we're called to do. So God takes and calls humanity, human beings whom He redeems out of imperfection and He calls them to join Him in the greatest privilege that they can know, working alongside Him to reach the world, share the gospel, advance His kingdom for His glory. And He does that even with imperfect clearer way than here in Luke chapter 6 verse 12 as Jesus calls his disciples 12 men 
who are incredibly flawed will be used of God to proclaim a message that changes the world and establishes the church. Think about the importance of that fact. You and I are in an established church today, universally, locally. You and I have had the gospel shared to us through the centuries today because God used 12 incredibly flawed men to be witnesses of His resurrection after He ascended to heaven. That picture in and of itself shows us God uses broken people for His purposes. And so in this passage today, I hope that we will see really what it means to join Jesus in ministry, how we can prepare ourselves for that, who's allowed to join Jesus in in ministry, and really what's the purpose in, in joining Him in His work in the world. Let's just look at the passage this morning. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In the context, we have here the one who's just uh, claimed to be the son of man, who's the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath. He's, he's claimed authority over all things um, godly, all things of the Mosaic Covenant, all things of the Old Testament law. He's just also healed a man and on the Sabbath in front of all people showing his power and his authority to do so. Now in verse 12, this same man of authority and power and possession is going to set apart a specific 12. Look in verse 12. He says, Luke writes and reports, In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So there's an untold number of people following Jesus. He calls these who've been following him consistently, and now he's setting apart twelve of them. Verse 14, first is Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. These are the twelve set apart to join Jesus in the greatest work known to mankind. The first thing we want to notice about this passage concerning what it means to join Jesus in ministry is preparation. We need to know the preparation. And that is found in verse 12. Luke is reporting to us something that is quite normal for our Lord to do. He is praying, isn't he? And particularly in this passage, he's praying before he makes a major decision. We've seen that before. We've seen that in his baptism before he began his public ministry. He was found praying before he was tempted. He was found praying at the transfiguration. He's going to be found praying at the cross before the cross. He's going to be found praying and here before he chooses his 12 disciples he's going to be found praying and that's because prayer was of great importance to our lord wasn't it in fact it was so important to our lord it was a routine of his a perpetual practice it was a discipline of the lord to be a man of prayer he prayed often it's important for us to note disciplines and routines do not just happen overnight, do they? 
They take time. They are cultivated. They are worked. They are grown. They are developed. And that tells us Jesus is devoted to being a man of prayer. Another key word there, devoted. Committed. Putting forth the efforts to spend time in prayer. In fact, our Lord exemplified that priority and the blessing of being able to communicate to God for us. If, if prayer is that expression of dependency and worship and faith, and if, if prayer strengthens, serves to strengthen your relationship with God, then you and I know so clearly nothing would deter Jesus from being a man of prayer. That's seen in his hearts. That's seen in his practices. That's seen even here in his example. I want you to notice first concerning Jesus being a man of prayer. Notice first that he withdrew to the mountain to pray. Simply meaning. He got a way to be alone in prayer. Now, whether or not he had people come with him. Whether or not they were maybe a distance away. We do not know. But one thing. We do know is that there's, there's nothing particularly special about getting on a mountain and praying, right? He did this for the express purpose of withdrawing himself from the crowds, withdrawing himself from the towns to be alone in prayer. It's an act and it's a dedication of private prayer with God. The mountain in Scripture is often used to communicate desolation. It's, it's an uninhabited place. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to go. To pray. And he does so even while at night. Right. Most people are going to be asleep. Most people are not going to be out walking around. Traveling the countryside. There's not going to be a lot of commotion in the distance. That will grab his ears or his mind's attention. He is withdrawing himself in a quiet time. To spend it with God. He valued prayer enough to remove himself. What I think is significant to remove himself from not only distractions, but from people, from work and from ministry. And I think that's interesting because in the Gospels and even this far in Luke's Gospel, we've seen Christ place such a value on ministering to people. He'll often he'll skip a meal. He'll he'll skip sleeping. He'll skip doing other work. He'll skip family time. He'll he'll skip uh resting just relaxing and kicking back and he'll spend days maybe even a whole week healing the diseased and teaching in the synagogues and ministering to the people and proclaiming the kingdom christ has placed such a priority on reaching out to people and ministering to them and meeting their needs and yet here he's willing to get away from people to be in prayer he sacrifices ministering he puts a pause on his valuable work to be with God. What does that say when he values something so highly and then there's something else that supersedes that? The practice of Christ in prayer shows the value Christ put on prayer and church. We would do well to take special note of this example of the Lord and to apply it ourselves, wouldn't we? Christ was a man of prayer, devoted prayer, and we ought to be people of devoted prayer. It is of value and it is of importance 
for you to withdraw and spend regular time praying. It is of value and it is of importance for us as believers to develop the discipline and the practice and the routine of withdrawing to pray. In fact, it is of value, no matter how difficult it may be, for you to withdraw from your spouse, for you to withdraw from your children and your grandchildren and your job and your schoolwork to be alone with God in prayer. In fact, you are of no real good benefit to anyone if you are not found faithfully meeting with God in prayer. Christ is willing to even pause His earthly ministry get alone with God church we need to take notice of that we need to follow in those footsteps we need to be people like our Lord unafraid to withdraw from the world to spend focused time with God who cares what your friends are going to think who cares what you've got going today or tomorrow or this week this weekend are you devoting time to be with the Lord You're going to lay down the cell phone and the laptop and the computer and the TV and the hobbies and the liberties and your rights. Get alone with God. That's what our Lord does. That's what we must do. But I I will confess before before we can be expected to develop these disciplines in our lives, before we can be expected to be a people devoted to withdrawing into prayer, times of prayer with God, we have to be people who know the value of prayer, right? You need to meditate upon and you need to study the Word of God and you need to think upon the value that you and I possess as sinful humanity, sinful human beings, imperfect beings who are able through the blood of Christ to draw near to the throne of grace and communicate with God Almighty. What an awesome privilege that we are guilty of neglecting so easily that you and I at any moment, any place, any fashion can come before the God of heaven in prayer. In fact, we're commanded to. God desires us to. Peter tells his readers, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. He wants you to come before Him. He wants you to communicate with Him. He wants you to draw near. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you, says James. Prayer is of immense importance and of immense value to us. It is of more value and it is a greater treasure than any earthly possession you own today. I guarantee it. We ought to be people of prayer knowing the value of prayer and in knowing the value of prayer, following the example of Christ, get alone and pray. I, I would be uh, afraid to ask ourselves the question, how often in the last week, month, year have you gotten away for diligent, quiet, private moments of prayer? Because I fear, if we're honest, the answer would be frightening. The second thing that we want to notice from Christ praying is that the value that He places on prayer is expressed in the fact that He continued in prayer to God. In fact, He didn't just continue for a a few moments. Verse 12, Luke tells us, 
he continued all night in prayer. In fact, in verse 13, it doesn't, he doesn't call his disciples until daytime comes. So he's not just continuing part of the night in prayer. He's continuing all night until the sun comes up. Until it's daytime again. He is persisting and persevering in prayer. He's not devoted just for a few moments. He's not just saying a quick prayer and moving on. He's not even just praying for an hour. We find our Lord here spending eight, nine hours in prayer. Again, key word, devoting himself, devoting his whole night to this task. He's intentional, diligent, and committed. While everyone around him, maybe even his disciples, are found sleeping and dreaming and resting in their beds, Jesus is going to be found on a mountainside seeking the heart of God. He's quiet, private, he's undistracted, and he's found here communicating with God, communing with God, conversing with God, relating to God there, there in itself church is the privilege of prayer laid before us right you get to commune with God fellowship with God you get to communicate to him your desires and, and praise and worship and your needs and you get to relate to God Almighty that is that is the outcome of of prayer and Jesus has found doing that all night Let us not just chalk it up that he was also divine. It's evident that he desired to spend such time with God. It was his heart's longing to spend such time with God. And I thought as I was studying, how often do we, how often do I today walk away from times of prayer long before I ever should? Long before God is ever done with me in that moment. How hard is it for me? How hard is it for us today to spend even a few brief moments in prayer before we are distracted or drawn towards other things in our mind or even, if we're honest, bored? I would say it's very tragic, isn't it? And it happens far too often. And the proof is at Trinity Baptist Church, the proof is that our prayer meetings aren't Incredibly slim. How easily. Can we turn away from a time of prayer so casually. And not feel constrained or compelled by God's spirit to linger. And continue on just a little longer. How easy is it for us. To simply just end. A time of prayer. How easily are we satisfied to say a quick prayer and be done and move on. If I could, I would beg the saints of Christ to look to the example of their Lord, devote themselves to prayer and to continue in it and to develop it as one of their most valuable and strong disciplines in their Christian faith that this is the sign of Christian maturity that you are willing to devote yourself and continue in the practice of private devoted diligent prayer we ought to like christ forsake sleep and food 
and work, hobbies and liberties and on and on down that list. For moments of prayer. To relate to God and commune to Him and to walk with Him. How great a price did Christ pay for us to be able to come before God as we are. And yet how convicting is it because we so easily neglect it, don't we? I would say that not only should we be consistent in prayer, but we should never be satisfied with our current discipline of prayer. We should never be satisfied with our current prayer life. We should be striving to press on in prayer like our Lord, growing in prayer, looking to Him as the example, looking to Him to see such value that we should place on it. In fact, I I thought of one other individual in Scripture. I think he lays out a good example of what it means to be devoted in prayer. Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes of a man named Epaphras. Little known guy. And in verse 12 he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God, church. That is a picture of maturity in Christ. That is a picture of a growing walk and a growing faith. That you are one who struggles in prayer. That you labor in praying on behalf of others. That you labor to meet with God. That's what our Lord does. That's what Epaphras does. That's what we should do. But there is something else that we glean here from verse 12 concerning the Lord in the context of Christ calling his disciples and praying before he does so. And that is how how important must it be for us to pray and spend times in prayer before we make major decisions or even venture into the work of God. Because here's the one who possesses all wisdom. And here's the one who possesses complete ability to serve God on his own without the need of any help whatsoever. And yet, he is found seeking the Lord before he makes a decision on his disciples. He's found seeking the Lord before he continues in to the ministry of selecting these men who are going to work alongside him. How much more, church, should we be people who pray before we make major decisions as individuals and as a church? And how much more should we be prepared by prayer, through prayer, to serve God and to work with God? We, we see this at, in Christ's life in more places than just this, right? We see that as baptism. Before he's about to begin his public ministry, he's preparing himself by meeting with God privately in prayer and continuing in that prayer. We see it now as he's choosing those 12 men who are going to be the witness of his resurrection to the world, who are going to establish his church. We learn from verse 12 that if we're going to join Christ in the work of reaching people for the sake of the kingdom of God and to share the gospel to the world, and if we're going to do ministry in the name of Christ and on behalf of Christ and as ambassadors of Christ, then our preparation is prayer. Our preparation is prayer. 
fear that we can too easily set out to do the work of God and I fear that we can too easily make major decisions concerning the work of God or following God or the ministry of the church thinking that we can do it in our own strength and not once pausing to seek the leadership of our Lord. Yet we learn from even our Lord Himself who is the Son of God, divine in His nature, that if we are going to serve God properly, we must be prepared through prayer. Relating to God and seeking God and expressing dependence upon our God. Practice of prayer is what sets your heart in the right direction for service. What is adequate to prepare us for walking with God in ministry? Let me just tell you, it's not seminary. It's not experience. It's not talent. What prepares us to work alongside God in the ministry is walking with God in prayer. To have an active and growing and ever maturing relationship with God. That's what prayer is proof of. Those who are diligent in prayer will admit that their relationship and their walk with God has never been more blessed, has never been more fruitful, has never been more fulfilling. Prayer is the outflowing of a vibrant walk with Christ. And the hope and the encouragement is that all of us who sit here today as Christians are vastly unable to do the work of God on our own. But if we are prepared through diligent prayer and possessing honest prayer lives, we walk hand in hand with the Savior who enables and equips us to work alongside Him. You have a calling. You have a gift. You have a place of service. And let me just Jump ahead and say it's not an option for you to exercise that service. It's a command. You are required to render your gifts to God for His glory. And you don't need a seminary education to do that. You need a vibrant relationship with Christ. You may need help. You may need encouragement. You may need training. You may need to talk about some ideas and you may need to work through some things, but nonetheless, if you're walking with Christ, proven by a diligent prayer life, you are ready to serve the Lord and take the gospel forth. That is point one of three points from this passage. That we will continue apparently another time. Yet I think we can walk away from this one verse, don't you, with conviction and challenge and application. I don't think we're short of application from a passage like this. And let me just maybe preview next time. If God can call men like these men whom we're going to examine, He can call us. The key is 
Are you ready to join the Lord in the work of the ministry? Are you seeking God and asking Him, how have you gifted me? How have you enabled me? What are you, what are you calling me to do? Because each and every one of us at salvation gifted, are gifted by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts and special qualities and skills and abilities. And you can reach people in this community and in your life far better than the person sitting next to you. God has a specific plan to use you specifically to advance the gospel and his glory and his kingdom in a way that he doesn't want to use and will not use anybody else. But we must be people who hit our knees first. So we're not not a church that has a shortage of needs, right? We're not a church that has a shortage of available spots to work in, right? We we beg you every week. We need VBS directors. We beg you every week. We need children's Sunday school directors. We beg you every week. We need people to take international students and, and take them into their homes and feed them and share the gospel with them and love on them. And we have people we can minister to every day all around us. This, the ministry that this church can do is as large as God is and as possible as the gifts that He's provided in this church. If only we'll be a people who collectively come together and seek His leadership. So men, you have an opportunity every Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night, you have an opportunity to join us praying. Christian, you have an opportunity every day to get alone at home and pray. To make a special time of prayer. Church, every Wednesday night, we lift up needs of each other. Needs of the community, needs of the church. There's no shortage of opportunities. So let us be a people who maybe need to repent of our neglect or lack of prayer or repent of not seeing the value of it. And let us be a people who from this point, by God's grace, mercy and help, press on in prayer that we may be a people prepared by God by walking with him to meet any ministry need that comes our way. We may fly by the seat of our pants as things come our way and as God gives us opportunities, but we will be a people prepared, I guarantee it, if we are people who pray consistently, regularly, and constantly, seek the Lord's leadership, and seek a deeper walk with Him. That's what we must do, and that's what you have an opportunity to do. Lord, I am thankful that you are a man of prayer. We can look at John chapter 17 alone, O oh Lord, and see that you, you pray for us. You, we can see that you pray for your kingdom work to be done. You pray for believers who are going to believe and follow you in the future, O oh God. In John chapter 17 and in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, when we see you praying to God, we see you interceding, we see what you're doing now for us. Even now you intercede on our behalf to the Father. You are a man of prayer and you saw it fit to be prepared in prayer by relating and walking with God. You saw that fitting before you chose your disciples. You saw that fitting before you began your public ministry. And God, I pray that we would see it fitting ourselves. I, I pray that this passage would strike hearts like it has struck my heart. 
And God, I believe this morning you've challenged us. You've, you've called us to the carpet. You've set a goal before us and we would be foolish to ignore it. I believe, O oh Lord, that you are challenging us for a reason. And I believe that if we seek you in prayer, we will know you, find you, and be able to more adequately serve you and work with you and reach the nations. What a privilege, God. That I, though imperfect and flawed and broken, can use my mouth to share the greatest message known to humanity can speak about the glorious, splendid, majestic God Almighty. Let me never take that for granted. Let me never keep my mouth closed to that message. Let us be diligent in seeking ways to serve with you. And God, I know that will increase as we become a people of prayer like you. So let us withdraw. Let us continue all night if we have to. Let us forsake certain things. Times of hanging out with friends or family or whatever it may be to see the value in meeting with You. Thank You that You use imperfect people. The disciples are a picture of that. Other characters we'll look at in Scripture are a picture of that. Thankful that You call us to have a place and play a part in your work, God. I'm thankful that we can serve you through serving your church. Just let us do it. Let us put our faith to action. No matter how much help we need, how inadequate we feel, let us come prepared with prayer, seeking you in dependence and faith that we may advance your kingdom, your name, your glory, your gospel with the great and mighty privileges that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.